Well, if you have your Bibles, open God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Thank you for tuning in, those who are just now joining us in our Bible study. And we're going through this study in 1 Peter, and the title of the whole study as we look at the book is Hope in a World That Is Not Our Home. 1 Peter chapter 2 will be our text. We'll get there in just a few moments as we're going verse by verse through this. If you have a, an outline, you'll notice that the, the text we're dealing with is chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. We probably will not get all the way to verse 25. We may stop at verse 17 tonight. Uh, but we're going to be dealing in First Peter chapter 2. Now let me ask you a question, those of you who are here in the building. Uh, when you hear the term hard truth, hard truth, what comes to mind? What does it mean to you? Tough luck? Tough love, okay. That sounds better. Tough love. What else? Hard truth. What does that mean to you? If you had to define it, he told us tough love. If somebody else, if you had to define it, how would you define it? Hard truth. Unconditional love, okay. Somebody else. Not easy to hear. I looked up today some synonyms and of hard truth, and here's some of the synonyms. Honest truth, plain truth, straight truth, or this one I was a little surprised, it was in the dictionary, biblical truth, or Bible truth is what it's listed. I was a little surprised that that was listed as a synonym, that a synonym for a hard truth is Bible truth. Now, let me give you an example of hard truth. And I'm not trying to be funny, but this is, this is really an example that, uh, of what a hard truth is. A hard truth is something like this. Everyone you love is going to die. How's that for an encouragement on a Wednesday night? But it is, it's true, right? And it is a hard truth to think about that everyone that I love my wife, my children, my grandchildren, that everyone that I love is going to die. That's a hard truth. Now, in our text, in 1 Peter, uh, last week, Peter reminded his readers who they were, and it was almost poetic, right? Last week, he, he was re- really kind of drilling home who they are in Christ, and he uses phrases like, you're a chosen people, you're a royal nation, you are a holy priesthood, you're citizens of the kingdom of God, you're exiles in this world living in a foreign land. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it, it's almost poetic, reminding his readers who they really are in Christ. Now, in the text we're starting to read tonight, now he begins to flesh out just what it means to live our lives in this world. So theoretically, not theoretically, biblically, this is who you are in Christ. It's beautiful and powerful and poetic, but it's true. I'm not trying to lessen that. It's absolutely true. This is who you are in Christ. But how do you live that out? Practically speaking, how do you flesh that out? What kind of life do you live in this world? And this is where the hard truth comes in. Can I, can I just be real honest with you? You know, when I, whenever I teach or preach through a book, I read through it several times. Can I just be real honest with you? This is the one I was dreading. 
This is the passage I was dreading. Now, I'll also be honest with you and tell you that the more I've dug into it, 1 Peter is kind of a hard book to teach, and the more that I have dug into it, the more I have enjoyed this text. So I'm not really dreading it tonight. I was, I was anticipating it would be hard, but the more I dug into it, the more I've really enjoyed it. But, but let me give you an example again from Scripture this time of, of a hard truth. And this is kind of a summary of what we're going to be studying tonight. Here's the hard truth we're going to talk about. We live in a godless culture, comma. Do you, do, first of all, do you agree with that? We live in a godless culture, and yet we are called to submit to the governing authorities that are over us in that godless culture. That's the hard truth. We live in a godless culture, and yet... We are called to submit to the authorities that are over us in that godless culture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, that's exactly what Peter says. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who who do right. Would you agree with this statement? Sometimes God asks us to do something we don't really want to do. This might be one of those times. This might be one as we look at the text and as we look at the world that we live in, as we look at the society, as we look at politics, and I'm going to do my best not to talk about politics tonight. But as we look at all of that, Sometimes God asks us to do something we don't really want to do. Living the Christian life, I've got to stand up because I want to make this point. Living the Christian life doesn't come naturally. I know that for two reasons. One, He sent the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us because we couldn't live it on our own. And two, He tells us in the Word, if you're going to live this Christian life, you're going to have to die to self. Because self is going to get in the way a lot. Self is going to want to have its own way. Self is going to have its own ideas. And most of the time, self's ideas are contrary to God's ideas. I don't know anywhere where that's more true than in the area of politics and those who govern over us. That it's very easy to let self get in the way and very hard to live out our faith in a pagan, godless culture. Especially when we're told in the Scripture not just to live out our faith in this pagan, godless culture, but to live out our faith in submission to those who are in authority over us. In this pagan, godless culture. So, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And... Uh, Here's what I want to say to you before we get into the text very far. You may not like what God says, but I hope that you'll understand the importance of embracing what God says because it is God's truth. God's truth given to us for our good and for His glory. Can I get an amen to that? You don't have to like what God says. 
But you need to embrace the idea. Listen, if I were God, I wouldn't have written it this way, right? But you need to embrace the idea. But this is not Keith's idea. This is God's truth. And as God's truth, I have to embrace it and trust it and live it. Because it's for our good and it's for His glory. So let's go back to the text. Uh, We're going to read chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Again, this time I'm going to ask you, as I read the text, I'm adding a verse. uh, I I read verses uh, 13 and 14. We're going to read verses 13, 14, and verse 15 this time. As I read those three verses, I want you to look for two reasons that Peter gives for submitting to government authorities. What are the two reasons Peter gives for submitting to government authorities? Beginning in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, I want you to tell me those two reasons that he gives. And I'll give you a hint. One of them is in verse 13 and one of them is in verse 15. What are the two reasons that Peter gives for submitting ourselves to all government authorities? What are the reasons? Alright. For the Lord's sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. And do it because it's God's will. I want you, we, we need to camp out here for a while. We don't have a lot of time to do that, but we need to camp out here for a while. He's asking you to submit to the government authorities, not because of the inherent goodness of the government. He's telling you to submit to the government authorities because you need to do it for the Lord's sake, because He has a plan, He has a purpose, and because it is God's will. Again, not because they deserve it, not because they are inherently good. And there are some good government leaders, thank the Lord for that. But that's not the reason to submit. You submit to governing authorities because of those two reasons, for the Lord's sake and because it's God's will. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, I was, as I was reading this text, I was thinking about how the application of these verses is shaped by when and where we live. Now, I'm talking about the application of the verses, not the truth of the verses. But think about the application of these verses. That how that application is shaped by when and where you live. For example, a Christian living in the United States will have various degrees of frustration living out this text depending on what state they live in. Is that fair? I don't know about... I'm not talking politics here I'm just glad I live where I live and if I didn't live where I live I might have even harder more problems trying to live out this truth if I lived in certain I'm not even going to name the states you just fill in the blank you decide which state it is all I know is there's a lot of people moving from those states to this state right so trying to live out this verse the application of it often is shaped by when and where we live. Another example of that would be this. A Christian reading this verse in 1862 during the Civil War would have a greater struggle living out this text, would he not? Submit to governing authorities? We're in a civil war. 
So trying to live out that text really would become difficult because of where and when you live. Or how about this one? A Christian tonight living in Russia who reads this text is going to have great difficulties trying to figure out what it means to live a godly life under brutal human authority. How do you live a godly life under brutal, evil human authority? So where you live and when you live might affect, again, not the truthfulness of the text, but how you apply it. How you live it out. So with that in mind, that's an introduction to what I want to show you tonight. and I'm going to come back and do some teaching, but I've got this 12 or 13 minute video I want to show you. It, Kyle Eidelman has put together a series, a video series, on the book of First Peter. It's seven lessons, and we're not watching the whole series because some of the, like the first two lessons, did not line up with the text that we were using. But tonight's lesson absolutely perfectly lines up with the exact text that we're using. And I thought he did, did a very, just an incredible job, really, of teaching this passage. So we're going to watch him. And one of the things I love about this particular series, besides the fact that Kyle Eidelman is a great teacher, uh, it was filmed in Boston. And so those of you who have been to Boston, you're going, uh, Sam, you guys were there just last week, right? Uh, you guys are going to, well, all, anybody that's been to Boston, you're going to recognize many of the places that you see. Uh, in this in this uh, video, which is pretty cool. So let's watch this. It's only about 12, 13 minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll really get into a lot of good Bible study. In 1775, a silversmith, engraver, and colonial patriot named Paul Revere had a memorable role in the American Revolution. He's well known for his midnight ride to alert the Minutemen soldiers that the British were coming to Lexington and Concord. Revere's legendary tale has been told, it's been retold as the American colonists stood up to power and they rebelled against the British. Throughout the 17th century, the Pilgrims, the Puritans, the Quakers, and other Christian refugees fled Europe seeking religious liberty. They wanted to worship Christ apart from the religious oppression that they were experiencing in England, and so they bolted for this new world. They knew that they needed to obey God rather than men, but the British continued to hold many powers over them. So they weren't really free. Across the ocean, they continued to be persecuted, and eventually they justly revolted. In 1 Peter, the second half of chapter 2, Peter shares what it means to live godly lives under an oppressive government. Here's what he writes in verses 13 and 14. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. This is a hard truth for us to take. We hear Peter say to submit ourselves to every human authority, and we want to say, okay, but what if? Or suppose they aren't, or how far is too far? Peter, are you sure about this? But Peter's message is really quite clear. Christian obedience 
living the way God wants us to live, choosing to be set apart for God includes submission to civil authorities. Uh, we don't obey or submit ourselves to rulers because of their inherent goodness. Peter doesn't evaluate whether they deserve it. He doesn't get wrapped up in the injustices. He just simply calls Christians to submit. Of course, if you live in America, for example, you live in a democratic system where the people are in fact the government. And that gives us certain freedoms and responsibilities to engage in the political process, even though that influence is limited. But when Peter is writing to these Christians, they don't have those kind of freedoms, and yet he tells them to submit to human authority. The question is why? Now, why should they do this, especially when they're being mistreated? I mean, they could make a pretty compelling case that rebellion was okay, at least okay, if not required. But verse 15, here's what Peter says. For it is God's will that by doing good, by submitting in this way, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. The people that Peter writes to are being mistreated and abused. They're being slandered. For example, uh, they were accused of insurrection, rebelling against Rome. They were accused of atheism because they didn't worship Caesar or one of the many other Roman gods. They were falsely accused of things like incest because they called each other brother and sister and they had this close-knit community. And there's a lot of hostility. And the natural response to any kind of hostility like that, I mean, really for any of us, is just to be defensive, right? We wanna sue for slander, fight fire with fire. But as far as Peter is concerned, the only way to really answer these accusations was the way Christians would live, to live such a good life, to do such good deeds, to show kindness, to give generously, that by doing these things, they could silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Some of us would say, no, we need to revolt. We need to protest, maybe make up some signs, march around with megaphones, trying to be intimidating and loud and threatening. Maybe that'll do good. Maybe then they'll listen to us. But what if we try something different? I mean, what if we try to just do what the Bible says? What if instead of being loud and angry, we were known for our love and our kindness? What if we showed radical acts of generosity? What if we were known for those things? Peter is saying, look, the most effective way to approach and engage our culture is to live your life in such a way that the prejudices of these people don't hold up and that eventually they'll be won over by your actions. And this is huge for us to understand, right? As the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church must become increasingly holy. And part of holiness, according to Peter, is submitting to governing authorities. To be clear, our submission to the ruling authorities doesn't mean that there's this blind faith. It doesn't mean that we just surrender to them no matter what. There may be a time where we shouldn't comply. We should never follow earthly powers when they're in conflict with what God has said in his word. We should always prioritize our obedience to God over obedience to our country. Our first allegiance is to God's word, not to the government. And, and so sometimes obedience to God's will may mean disobedience to civil authorities. And Peter leaves room for this. In fact, he sets an example for us. In Acts chapter 5, we learn that Peter and some of the other disciples were being 
persecuted before the ruling authorities in Jerusalem. And Peter defends himself for preaching the resurrection of Jesus, and he pleads with the Sanhedrin to let them preach the gospel. But I love what Peter and his cohort say to the Jewish leaders in verse 29 of Acts 5, we must obey God rather than human beings. I mean, there you have it. Peter, who previously defended himself saying we must obey God rather than human beings, is now telling these Christians to obey their ruling authorities. So has he changed his tune? Is there some discrepancy here? Uh, is the Bible contradicting itself? No, really not at all. Peter is using judgment. He's applying biblical wisdom that yes, we should follow the ruling authorities in our life unless their plans and their policies cause us to violate what God has told us to do. See, most of the time, or at least often, we want to follow our own will in deference to the ruling authorities in our life. And this is where Peter is directly challenging us. He's imploring us in verse 16. He says, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves, as God's servants. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I love that just kind of goes through this list and says, this is the way you should handle it. It's a very complicated and messy situation, but what Peter lays out is a very clear approach. Freedom is a word that we love to use. We love freedom. But the real question is, what do we do with it? And why do we want it? What do we want freedom from? Or what do we want freedom for? Do we want freedom so we can use it as a cover up for evil? Or do we want freedom to live according to God's will and to live according to God's ways. So Peter goes on in his call for us to live holy lives, and he tells us that we need to learn to submit to God by submitting to others. Look at verses 18 and 19. Slaves, he says, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, in other words, not only to those who deserve it, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. It's important to note that slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not based on race or color like American slavery was, but it was still inhumane. Understanding that Peter, uh, his focus here is important. He's focused on transformed individuals who influence society in a positive way, even when they don't have position and even when their conditions seem to allow them to have very little influence. The verb submit here is in the middle voice, and it literally means to place yourself in submission. It's sitting down on the inside as well as the outside. Biblical submission is placing yourself under someone by choice and with a happy spirit. And, and Peter wants this submission to come from the heart. If you submit to someone because you have no choice, then you know, what credit is that to you? If you submit to someone because uh, they are reasonable or they're a good leader, that they're fair and just, then what credit is that to you? I instead, he's challenging us to submit to ruling authorities that are unjust, that are causing suffering and persecution. Richard Foster puts it this way. He says, Peter made decision makers out of those who were forbidden to make decisions. Peter is saying, you make a decision to submit. You choose to do it, not because you're forced to, but because you're being obedient to God. Now, there's certainly application for us in this area when it comes to the workplace, when it comes to being a good employee. 
And Peter calls us to live life in such a way that our co-workers and those we share life with in a work environment will see the difference and will be won over by our actions. And so you work hard and you encourage others and you offer help, submit to your boss, even if she's tough, even if he feels unreasonable. This way you will reflect God's image. As Peter says, this way you will be commended for it. So that very situation that seems to be an opposition in your life has the potential to become a kingdom opportunity. So this is our calling to live holy, to love others, learn to submit. Why? Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus is our prime example of submission. We are called to listen to, to learn from, to lay down our lives for others because that's what he did for us. Verse 22 says he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, the Bible says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, Peter says, you have been healed. None of that's easy, but it is simple. We are to obey and to submit to authorities, even when we don't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem fair. Why? Because we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Peter talks about the example that Jesus left us. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. Then Peter says, you must follow in his steps. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted. He could have, right? I mean, he could have retaliated. He could have called down all of heaven and all of heaven's armies, but he didn't do that. When he was insulted, he didn't try to even the score. And it says that he didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He didn't say, hey, yeah, you guys might have it now, but you wait until I get back to heaven. He doesn't start threatening. Instead, Peter says he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. So how many opportunities will we have to do that today, right? How many opportunities will we have to not retaliate, to not be offended, to not get defensive? The message paraphrases it this way. It says they called Jesus every name in the book, but he didn't say anything back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Can we just remember that, please? I mean, the next time that we want to retaliate, can we just remember the fact that Jesus didn't do that? Next time we're tempted to trade insult for insult and one punch for another punch, can we just for a moment remember Jesus on the cross praying for his enemies, Father, forgive them. Before you go on your next social media rant, can you push pause long enough to remember how Jesus handled some of these things? Can we just be content to let God set some things right? The early church sets the example for us. They flourished because under intense persecution, they let their love silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Uh, that's a good word. Uh, let me ask you a question. In what ways do you see the world that we live in acting with hostility towards Christians and the church? It's a packed question, but I, I just 
A little bit of discussion there. In what ways do you see the world we live in acting with hostility towards Christians and the church? Any ideas? All right. Laugh at us. What else? Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Um, and because of that, we're ridiculed because we're not accepted. Okay. Do you, do you feel a, a push from society to be more accepting of things that we would say are not biblical? Absolutely, and I think that's going to be a greater and greater push in the future. Let me give you another example. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, what, two years ago? Uh, in certain places of the country, again, depending on what state you lived in, certain places of the country, they were forcing churches to close because of COVID. I mean, there were lawsuits about that. John MacArthur in California had a lawsuit, and I think they actually won that lawsuit. Uh, but they were forcing the church to close because they were too big, too many people. Huh? Yeah, yeah, they weren't considered essential. Yeah, that's right. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back to this verse because before I read this text, and we're going to read it for the third time, but before we read this text, let me remind you of, this, of the setting in which Peter wrote. Peter was writing to... Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. These believers scattered across the Roman Empire were living under an emperor. They had an emperor. And in the Roman culture, the emperor was considered to be God. He considered himself God. And he wanted to be admired and worshipped as God. That was, the, that was the setting where they were living and the Roman emperor that they had during the days of Peter was, of course, Nero. You know anything about history, if you've read any of that at all, you know that Nero was increasingly, as the he didn't rule that long, but as the years went on, he increasingly became more and more insane. So you have a very unstable leader who thinks he's God, not only was he insane, he was, he was extremely evil. We've talked about some of the things he did to Christians. And he had an absolute hatred of Christians because they said, Jesus is Lord, and they refused to say, Caesar is Lord, or Nero is Lord. Now, with that in mind, remembering that Nero, because of his hatred for Christians, simply because they're Christians... Not because they did anything wrong. But his hatred for Christians, simply because they were Christians, he mistreated them, he imprisoned them, he enslaved them, and for some, he murdered them. These are the same Christians Peter writes to. And I want you to hear what he says. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood, uh, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Now, let me make sure you understand that though he is definitely and clearly saying we should submit to the earthly rulers that God puts over us. He is not advocating blind trust in those government leaders. Rather, his point is that we ought to prioritize our obedience to God over our sinful desire to kind of do our own thing the way we think is best. But Peter was saying, listen... In reference to God, because you are a follower of Jesus, because it is the Lord's will, and for the Lord's sake, you need to live a life that submits to the governing authorities that He has placed over you. It's not a, Watch this. It's not about the governing authorities over you. It's about your relationship and your obedience to your God. To God. Now, it's interesting that Jesus talked about this. Even in the days of Jesus, this was an issue. Uh, go over to the left and go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What a relevant question. They're trying to live out their faith. Do we have to pay taxes? That, that, by the way, is a form of submitting to the authorities that are over you. So, is it right to pay taxes? And not just to pay taxes. Is it right to pay taxes to who? To Caesar. Is it right to pay taxes to that ruler in Rome who thinks he is God? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Verse 18, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? You don't care about paying taxes if it's right or wrong. You're just trying to trap me. And then he goes on to say, Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And this this is so good. He says, Whose portrait is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. My point is that Jesus himself said, There is a place for you to give to the government authorities the submission and the, and the, the obedience that they deserve. If, if, if his portrait is on the coin, then give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. 
and give to God that which is God's. Now, let's keep looking at what the Scripture says in the last few minutes that we have together. Uh, did you know that Paul wrote about this as well? Would you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2? 1 Timothy chapter 2. You probably are familiar with this scripture. But I'll read it to you and then make a comment about it. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Paul was saying, listen, you should not only submit to your government leaders, but you ought to pray for them. And can I remind you that when Paul wrote those words, guess who was in charge of the government? Nero. Nero was the emperor. And Paul was saying, listen, you need to pray for him. Pray for those that are over you. Now, probably the, the harder of the two texts that we're going to look at uh, is in Romans. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 if you're taking notes. Here's what we read. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. <laughs> Sometimes I just get, I just kind of get, you know, just kind of uh, a chuckle at the way sometimes God says, oh, I, let's repeat that because I know sometimes people don't get it. Did you see it in verse 1? Everyone must submit, to, uh, submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which is God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Just want to make sure you get that, right? Verse 2, consequently, because the authorities that are established have been established by God, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant. That's the second time he said that. An agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Here we are back to the taxes issue. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants. That's the third time he's mentioned that. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. 
If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let me remind you one more time who was in authority. Nero. And in fact, to make it even more compelling, would you remember who he's writing to? He's writing to Christians who live in Rome. Headquarters of Nero. Capital. Now, Peter, Paul, Jesus, all three of them, in various ways, call us to submit to, establish, to, to, submit to the government that God has established. But nowhere in Scripture does it mean that God endorses everything that that leader does. Our obedience to governing leaders is not a blind obedience. It is a respectful obedience. Based upon their, their position that God has, has established the governing authorities in our society. So, here's what we're going to do. We're about out of time. We're going to push the pause button. And next Wednesday we'll open with this question. Then we'll go on through the text. Next Wednesday we'll talk about when is it legitimate to disobey the government? When is it legitimate to, to resist the government? Uh, we'll talk about that briefly next week, and uh, then we'll go on into the rest of that chapter, okay? Thank you for being here tonight. Hey, I'm, I'm here if you want to talk about anything. Uh, I'm here to, to discuss anything with you guys.